My sermon title today is, Please Turn On the Lights. Please Turn On the Lights. So with that in view, would you stand and let's read together as a church family, Matthew 5, 13 through 16. Verse 13 says, You are, you are the salt of the earth. But as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and to be trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill. It cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So reads God's holy and errant word. You may be seated. I won't be going in any particular, well, I'm going to be bouncing around a little bit, so just got a copy of your word, just know that I, I'm going to be bouncing around this text a bit. But I would give you some things, and I would encourage you to maybe write this down. Um, there'll be four things I want to point out. Number one, what you are. As a Christian, what you are. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about what we do. So it's what you are, what we do, what we don't do. And then, why we do. So again, what you are, what I am, what we do, what we don't do, and why we do. And we'll see all of that in the text. So let's start with number one, what you are, what I am. What we are as a body of believers that believe that Jesus Christ is who he says that he is. Well, he says, you are the salt of the earth, verse 13. But then in verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. We are both of those things. Notice, though, the text, the text says, you are. It doesn't say, it doesn't say not, you will be. It's not saying you will be. It's saying you are, and that's important. He's saying you are the light. You are the salt of the earth. Now, here's the bad news. The bad news is the world is a dark place. However, Jesus, through his written word, Jesus, through his written word, is doing something here. He's explaining to us the importance of turning on the lights in this dark world. He says in the text here, you are the salt of the earth, verse 13. I want you to understand that the context of which it's been written in would be different than it would be for us today. Again, before people had refrigerators, before you just threw something in the freezer or the refrigerator, it was common for the people of this day to use salt as a preservative to preserve food to make it last. Salt was a valuable commodity uh, back in this day because it allowed people to trade. It, their, whatever they purchased didn't spoil by a day or two. So it was very good for trade because of salt. 
Romans, the Romans, they, they found salt to be even more valuable than gold. And again, because it slowed the decay of the food. That's what salt does. So what's the point? The point of that is simple. The world is dark. The world is decayed. And because of this, what you are matters. It matters to God. It matters to one another. It matters to the people that live on our street or in the workplace. It matters. It matters. Brothers and sisters, we are called as a church to slow the decay. We are salt. We are faithful people. But it also says in 14, you are the light of the world. Have you noticed that light doesn't have a lot of jobs? It's got one job. Light illuminates. It's what it does. It illuminates. It shines. Jesus said these words in John 8, 12. He said this. He said, I am the light. Again, the words of Jesus, John 8, 12. I am the light. And then he says this. Whoever follows me, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's good news. Jesus is the light, and the light of Jesus diminishes darkness, eradicates darkness. It says in Psalm 119, 130, that the teaching of your word, O God, gives light. The teaching of your word gives light, so even the simple can understand. The word of God, when it's understood, responds to the salt and light metaphors and says, I understand that. And when we understand God's word, the difference between those who are in Christ Jesus respond, they obey what he asks us or commands us to do. So light could be the li light could be defined as the word of God. Light could also be defined as the truth of God. And light can be defined as Christ, Jesus Christ, because we've learned that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. So what's happening here in the text? The church is reminded or being reminded to be what you are. Be what you are. Again, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. Salt and light takes us to the church. It takes us to our community. It takes us everywhere. We are to take this light, his light, and shine bright for him. Remember, God promised us God promised us that the light of his glory in Israel would attract all nations. That the light of Christ is attractive. And God says he's going to attract all nations. He isn't going to save everybody, but he's going to be saving a great deal of people. He's going to attract all 
nations, all tribes, all nations. The color of the church isn't black, white, brown, it's red. All of us are red. We're red because of the red blood that was poured out on Calvary. We're a red church, a gospel church. Salt and light ultimately does this. Listen, it takes us to the gospel. Salt and light points us to Jesus. It takes us to the gospel. And the gospel is for all the nations, all tribes. So what do we do? We know what we are, but what do we do? Well, again, verse 14 answers part of it. What do we do? Well, you are the light of the world. We're to be light, obviously. But what is it we don't do? What is it we don't do as a people? Well, it says here in the text, we're, we're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So we're the city on a hill which should illuminate. Everybody should know what it's, what it's there. If it's a hill, everybody can see it. If it's illuminated, everybody knows it's there. So a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. So what is it we don't do as a church, as believers? We don't hide. We don't hide. We don't hide. We are not to be a private, keep-to-yourself Christian. The Bible says, no, 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 no. It's not a private deal here. It's, it's not a keep your Christianity, keep what you believe about Christ to yourself. Brothers and sisters, just like baptism is a public demonstration of one's faith, so it is your faith must go public. That's what he's saying. Don't hide who you are. Be proud of who you are because of what Christ has done. Don't hide. Brothers and sisters, I want you to hear this. The world is coming out. It's coming out. The world is celebrating everything. They come out with something new almost every day. Maybe it's time for the people of God, those who are the people of God, Christians, to come out and stop hiding from what from hiding from what we are. We've got to come out. Everybody's coming out. You come out as well. That's what it's saying. Come out. Be proud of who you are in Christ. Be grateful, as Joe Tisburn said, for what God has done. Celebrate even the tough times because you know that no matter what happens to you this side of eternity, that the best is yet to come. So we've got to stop hiding from who we are. We were called to be that city that was set on a hill. Again, easy to see. Everybody sees it. That's the way we're to be as a church. Everyone should know that we're here. It should be a church that's easy to find. I've heard about that church. Light is visible, and it needs to shine. Again, what do we not do? Verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Again, it's the same metaphors. It's just it's said differently. 
and I think you get the gist of it. We are not to be people that take this lamp, the lamp of the gospel, the good news of Christ, and put it under a basket. We're not to cover up, because if we do, Judgment Day, when it comes, we're going to be uncovered. God uncovers the things that we cover, and the things that we uncover, He covers. We should be proud and grateful to be a part of the gospel community. We should be proud and grateful for what God has done for His people. But what do we do? What do we do? In that same verse, again, what we don't do is light a lamp and put it under a basket, but what we do is in 15 as well. He says, hey, put it on a stand. Take that light, put it on a stand. And it's going to give light to the whole house. So take that light, put it someplace where everybody can see it is the metaphor. Again, what we don't do. I want you to go back to verse 13, and I'd like to exposit that just a bit. Verse 13. Again, what we don't do. The verse says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled, trampled under people's feet. We can summarize much of that verse by this. As believers, we're not called to be in of the world, but in the world. We're called to be a people of the book. What does the book say? Meaning God's word. As believers, we can sum it up this way as well, that verse, verse 13, or 15, yeah, 13. We can sum it up this way. Don't negotiate with the world. And here's why we don't negotiate with the world. Because we don't have that authority. We're people of the book. What does the book say? What does God say about the hot-button issues of our day? What does God say about the gospel? What does God say about the inerrancy of scripture? What does God say about life? The definition of marriage? What does God say? And we just roll with that. We don't have the authority to make any tweaks. And I know that as I look around, you would agree with, with that, most of you. You know, a few years ago, Louise and I had a friend make us a dessert, a cake. And that cake, when you looked at it, it looked scrumptious. I want to tear into that thing. It looked like it belonged in a magazine. I mean, that that Joanna Gaines would have put that in her magazine. Your little older Martha Stewart would have definitely put it in her magazine. So with great anticipation, I found my way up to that cake. I cut it a nice man piece with lots of milk, because that's how you eat cake. If you're going to have cake, you might as well have milk, because you've blown the whole lot anyways. So I got into that, that, that stinker and started I took a bite out of it and expecting to have a party inside of my mouth, something happened. That cake didn't taste 
like a cake. That cake was the worst cake I've ever had in my life. You talk about a letdown. <laughs> Trying to understand what in the world, who, who would create such a thing? You try to pawn it off on a friend. Well, here's what we found out. That cake was missing one ingredient, sugar or sweetener, whatever you want to use. It had no sugar or sweetener in it. It was awful. The baker made a mistake. Just curious, has anybody ever tried to eat a cake without any sugar or sweetener? No way. Yeah, I pray that you don't. Don't, don't do that. That's not good. something 
It can look like a church. It can look like a cake. It can look like a lot of things. But that ain't no church. Brothers and sisters, let us as a people, all of us, this isn't church talk. I mean this from my whole heart. Let us individually, collectively, let us be a people who can care less about being on the right side of history. But let us be a people who are right with God. Let us be a people that are right with God. Let us be a people who are going to help others to also be right with God. Jesus does not change in a changing world. I heard that from someone. But it's true. Jesus does not change in a changing world. The right side of history? Oh, brothers and sisters. Sometimes I think in the arrogance of man, and we're all arrogant and we're all prideful, but, but sometimes in the arrogance of man, we, we forget that history is indeed his story. That's what history is. It's his story. And one day the Bible gives us this promise, and it's encouraging. I'm going to read it to you. It's out of Isaiah 59, 20. It says, then our Redeemer will come to Zion, to those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. What a sweet verse in Isaiah 59, 20. This is truth. This is God's word. This is a promise that Jesus, of course, has come once, and Jesus is going to come again, and he's going to let the Lord, he's going to let the world know how things will be because of who he is. You see? Because of who he is. He's going he's gonna to tell the world, right? He's going to let everybody know what he did. He's going to rule and reign when he comes back. He's going to do so by the authority given to him by his father. You see, when he when he took the blows and he, he paid the sin price and he was resurrected from the dead on the third day, now he ascends at the right hand of God the Father. We know this, that all authority has been given to him. He will rule and reign, and that is a beautiful thing for those of us that are in Christ. So he's reminding us, listen, hang in there. It can be tough, but don't change the ingredients of the salt. Don't capitulate, not even a little bit. Do it with grace, do it with kindness, but don't capitulate. Why? Because salt that's tweaked, tweaked like that, it's going to lose its taste, metaphorically. When that happens, it's no longer good for anything. <laughs> this is what it means. If you do that, you're no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Useless. So we've looked at what you are, what you are. We've looked at what we do. We've looked at what we don't do. And now we're going to consider in verse 16 why we do. Why we do. Why do we do what we do as Christians? What do we do what we do in the faith community? Look at verse 16. 
the same way, let your light shine before others. So that, now listen after the so that, they may see your good works, the world, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So why we do? Why do we do what we do? Well, the text is clear. To bring glory to God. To make much of Jesus. To point people to the only way of salvation, which is Jesus Christ. Why do we do good works? We see good works in there. Why do we do the good works? Why is it that one man came to me today and he said this, these are the exact words, thank you. And he said these words, he said, thank you for your flock. They've been all over him and his family this week. So why does the church do good works? Why is the church looking after this family? To clarify a few things, we are not called to do good things. You're like, what in the world? We're not, we're not called to do good things. Rather, we're called to do good works, and there's a difference. Good works glorifies the Father. Good works are done because it gives God the praise. It gives God the credit. So God is not a part of what we do. It's not a good it's not a good work. It's not a good thing. And, and there are many non-Christians doing good things. We don't want people to praise us for our good works. This verse is about our purpose. About your purpose, your pastor's purpose. This is about the mission given to all of us. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That, that's the mission. We're to be a people that love God, love people, make disciples. Our purpose is always in line with what God wants for our lives. We glorify God in everything that we do. Jim Cimbala said this to the famous Brooklyn Tabernacle, his choir, which he's the pastor, he's the pastor of the church. He said this, he says, it's not just that you are hitting your notes. It's not just that the choir is hitting its notes. Rather, why are you on your note? In other words, what's your purpose? Do you do what you do to glorify God? Yet the believer is called to do these good works. But we do the good works because we love God. And when we love God, we obey God. And we love God. We love God. We love his word. And we hate the things of the world. He gives us a taste for him, a taste of righteousness. He loves us. So the point of both metaphors in our text today is that those who are the salt of the earth, those that are the lights of the world, that you, that I, that those listening would impact and reach the world for Christ. When we know God, we know people. 
because we're in the people business. Because that's why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Because there are more people that he wants to save. That's why you exist, to bring him glory and to share the good news of Christ. We can't make much of Jesus, pastor included, if all we're doing is talking about the darkness. Someone, or how about all of us, needs to go and find the light switch and turn on the lights. Earlier this week, my wife and I were doing a devotion, and we were doing a devotion out of uh, the Navigators, and it, I think it sums up my teaching, preaching for today. It says this, Out of a grateful response to God's grace, we seek to understand His will, and to obey him, not to be blessed, but because we have been blessed. If you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Does it keep you up at night? Or is this something you don't want to think about? When I had the privilege of doing Rosa Stedman's memorial, I shared her words to her family, her kids, and everybody that was there. She wanted me to share these three things. She said, Pastor, when I die, will you share, share with them these three things? Life is short. Did anybody agree that life is short? Hindu can. anybody also agree that death is certain? Rosa can. And then what we do with Jesus will determine where we're going to spend eternity. So says the Word of God. What we do with Jesus will determine where we will spend eternity. The Gospel of Mark 115 says this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And scripture is clear. Anyone who repents and believes the gospel, puts their trust and faith in him, he will save. He will give you a new heart, which will allow you to have new desires, because you'll be transformed. So how do we turn on the lights? How do we turn on the lights? couple of things in just a moment. But remember this, that the world is dark. And it's dark because of man's rebellion and sin. And keep this in view. A life of people of God that won't proclaim the good news of Christ. Rather, they complain will one day try to explain. And it won't be pretty. Who we are, our blood-bought, born-again, regenerated, transformed people. And when that happens, it changes everything. The evidence of one's salvation isn't that one time that you prayed a prayer. 
The evidence of your salvation isn't one time you walked down an aisle. The evidence of one's salvation is that he who began that good work in you will finish it, and that you will hunger and thirst after righteousness. So let us be a people that turn on some lights. Turn on the light in your family, in the church, in your workplace. As you serve the kids, turn the light on there. We're going to have people coming in that don't know Jesus. Kids, and you're going to have the opportunity to influence them. Turn the light on there. Turn the lights on when you're serving by greeting. You know, what would you feel like if you came into a place and no one said hello to you or greeted you and gave you a bulletin that we're glad you're here? It makes a difference. It goes a long way when you see somebody walking in and they've got three kids running around and they're trying to grab everything. And you go grab a chair and say, we're grateful you're here. That's a way to show. That's a way to be light. That's practical. We can all do that. It's practical also to do this, to ask God daily, Lord, would you put someone in my life I can share the gospel with? Maybe you share the light this way. You know, preacher, I don't, I'm not good yet with that. I'm working on it, but I want to do something. Well, invite somebody to church. Go pick them up. I was waiting for Carol Gibson today, and I called her at 9.30. She was going to come, but she said, listen, Pastor, I'll, I'll be there, but I'm dependent upon someone coming to look after my husband who's ailing. And she comes. I'll, I'll be here. She wanted to be here. So I was looking for her, and if she would have come, I would have went and grabbed her and brought her and sat her down next to me. That matters. So sharing the gospel matters. Being light matters. So what I would ask us all to do, pastor included, is not just to hear the message. No, no, no. Let's respond to the message for Jesus' sake. I've given you some practical suggestions, but more importantly to me is that you would consider what you heard today and you would ask God, what would you have me do? How can I be someone who turns on the lights and have an expectation that it's supposed to be dark outside? That's why you exist. If it was light, you wouldn't be here. Let us be that, all of us. And I'm telling you, people the next year to two or three are going to be looking for churches that faithfully proclaim the word of God. They're going to come. I know what you're thinking. No, they don't want that anymore. Yes, they do. There's always a remnant. And when they come, I want us all to be ready. I want us all to know that it's dark out there. But at Lakeshore City Church, it's always light in there. When you go outside, you take that light with you because you are the church. Let us do that together for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me and allow me to pray over you? We're going to sing one last song. And, and then uh, after Joe plays that last song, um, uh, Pastor Rod will come up and close us out. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the families that are here today. We thank you for the families who could not be with us today. I know, Lord, in the audience today, there are many who are hurting. I know 
many of their stories. It's been a tough week. There's been loss this week. But Lord, I find it not interesting. I just, I just find it encouraging that they could have stayed home. But something tells me that nothing would keep those families away from the house of God. They don't want to be hidden. They want to be seen. They want to be liked. Lord, you know the stories of everybody in this room. There are things I don't know and only you know, and I just pray that you would touch every soul today, that we would be known in this community as one who offers hope, salt, and light, that we would be known as a church that is faithful to the gospel, that is faithful to making much of you, and that everything that we do would bring you glory. And Lord, for every need that we have, I know there's a great need for our kids' ministry, and there's things that we we would like to buy. And Lord, may we be a people that, if you don't provide what we think we need, that we'd be satisfied with anything you do. And we'll change, we'll pivot, if that's what you want from us. Because this is your church, and we thank you for the privilege of being a part of it. Thank you, Jesus.